I'm Liam Printer, and this is The Motivated Classroom. Hello, bonjour, bienvenidos, falcha, welcome to the Motivated Classroom podcast. A huge Gurmila Mahagav, thank you so much to all of you amazing listeners who are here with me downloading, who have subscribed, who are patrons of the podcast. All of you wonderful people, I'm still a little bit in shock that we are still going. Over 140,000 downloads of the podcast now just blows my mind. Over 71, 72 episodes and still going strong. So it's, it's incredible. I may have to slow down the pace of the episodes at some stage, considering that there is another human about to enter my life very soon and I'm about to become a father for the first time. So I will be looking for your advice for lots of that. And <laughs> so... I'm about to go down that crazy journey. Very, very excited. Also quite scared and quite nervous, but uh, I certainly will not have as much time. So I'm glad that we have made it through to 70-ish episodes at this stage. I lose count myself. Now, of course, before we get into today's episode, which is all about the use of the target language in our classroom, a hugely important topic, I want to, of course, start with our little bit of Irish. And as I say, I am over 70 episodes in, so I'm not actually sure if we've had this word already. But here's some retrieval practice if we have had this word already. And if not, here is a new word for you. So this is the Irish word chonga. Now, chonga in Irish means language. I think it sounds beautiful. To me, the word chonga just sounds so nice. I know there's something about it that I love. It also means the word tongue, just like very similar to you would have in other languages. Like in French, you have langue, which means language language and it also means tongue and you'll often have this in other languages too so it's the same in Irish. Now there's a famous expression I want to share with you today a famous Irish saying and of course chunking those words together bring them together into a phrase or structure to help embed in your long-term memory and that is cheer gan tonga cheer gan anam and what that means is a country without a language is a country without a soul and I just think that is so incredibly powerful. Cheer gan changa, cheer gan anam. Just a lovely phrase meaning country without a language is a country without a soul. So the word changa meaning language and anam means soul. And the word cheer, T-I-R, is country. You may have heard about the Irish folklore tale, which is about cheer nanog, which is the country of the young. So T-I-R meaning country. So there are lots of words today in Irish. I suppose since today's episode is about the target language, there is some target language use for you right now and here's me using some extra other language which is my English to help to explain that and provide meaning to it. So with that brings us back to today's core topic and I was hoping this would be a nice short and concise episode. I'm currently three minutes in so we'll see how I do with that. Now of course when we're talking about target language usage this is hugely hugely relevant and is still a massive debate around language teachers around the world. How much target language should we use? Is there an amount? Should it be 90% like I've heard many times? Should it be 95? Should it be 75? How much is too much? What should it be like? And I suppose I'd like to just share my take on that and my views on that about things I've read and my years of experience and language acquisition and my doctorate. And and essentially, I'd like to share a little bit with you. And I want to hear what you think too. So to start with my philosophy in terms of target language usage, My very quick response to that is yes, almost always. So for me, I use the target language in my classes from beginner right up to advanced pretty much all of the class. It's incredibly rare that I will speak or give any kind of 
phrasing in English because English is our common language in the school. It doesn't happen very often. Now, what does happen, of course, is I provide an established meaning by using English because that is our common language, the language that we use in our school. So what I mean is I translate things. I translate words. I translate sentences. I ask the students to translate for each other. That does happen in class. But when I'm speaking in pretty much all of the time and among the students too, I encourage wherever possible that they use the target language, which is Spanish in my context. Now, it's really important to think carefully about that. I encourage them to use the target language wherever possible and I have to scaffold it in a simple way so that they're able to respond to each other in the target language in small amounts. Now, some people listening to this will say, OK, but is it OK if they talk in English to each other? So it depends on the task. If I've set out a task with scaffolding and I'm asking them to try and talk to each other using the Spanish that they have, even if it's just a few words to help them with that language development, not acquisition. So remember, they're learning their language acquisition or they're acquiring language through listening and reading to comprehensible inputs, which I am providing to them. But they're developing confidence competence and a feeling of efficacy when they are using the language together with lots of scaffolding from me. Now, what about just speaking in English, just a side conversation? Now, usually in my class, that's not okay, actually. And every teacher to their own, this is just my take on it. I don't allow little side conversations in English unless Really, it is a student helping another student to understand some instructions or it's a student helping another student to figure out what was going on in the last class or maybe they're translating a bit of the story that they didn't know. It's about establishing meaning. If it's just a side conversation in English that is essentially irrelevant to the lesson, then no, that's not okay. Now, there will be times when maybe with my beginners, if we're really talking about something quite heavy and I actually really want to see what they think, I'll say, okay. 30 seconds of English chat beside with the person beside you. But in most cases, I don't say English. I will actually try and put them into their language groups and have them do that in their mother tongue. Now, often that's not the case. In some of my classes, I might have one child who speaks Polish, one who speaks Ukrainian, one who speaks Gujarati, one who speaks Hindi. I might have one who speaks Mandarin. I might have three who speak Japanese, four who speak Portuguese, whatever. So I'll try and put them together in those language groups. But for those who don't have someone else in the class who speaks their mother tongue or their home language, then I will ask them to either think about it and write it down in their own language to make sense of it, to make meaning, or they will speak in English to each other. Now, that happens now and again. But in general, when I'm asking them to do an activity around, let's say we're doing a picture talk or a movie talk. Okay, I've just given them some inputs about the picture. We've established that the the person, the character's name is Jodie. And Jodie is a dinosaur from the Middle Ages who has, you know, um, found a banana skin and is wondering what she should do with this banana skin. I literally just made that up. I've never seen a video that did that, but I don't know where that came from. I can't think of a picture talk right off the top of my head. I, the one I always think of when I think of the movie talks that I use in class quite a lot. I really like the the one about the snack attack, the sandwich. I don't know if you've seen that one. So there's two people on a bench and, you know, there's a, an old lady and there's a young guy and it looks like he's trying to steal her snack. I don't want to spoil the rest of it. But anyway, I'm totally going off track. As they say in Spanish, me voy por las ramas. I'm going off on the branches. So what I'm trying to say here, what am I trying to say? I am trying to say that 
when students are doing a picture talk or a movie talk and we've just given loads of input, the guy's name is James and he's originally from Colombia, but he's now living in Spain with his family there and he's studying in the Spanish university and uh, he really likes to run, but he's not running at the moment because he hurt his knee and we've done all this backstory about him. And now I might say we've done our five minutes and now there's that five minute break, not five minute break, we've done our five minutes. So now there is a break. And the students have to process that in some way. So either they're maybe drawing it out or they're writing something or they're speaking in pairs. So I've already scaffolded it and I might turn and say, OK, using what's on the board, I want you to try and see if you can come up with your partner with five sentences about James in Spanish. Go. And at that stage, they are speaking in the target language to each other. And I'm encouraging them all the time to use the target language with me in a comfortable, safe, fun environment. And when they make mistakes, it's never a big issue. We talk about making a juicy error. If somebody makes a mistake and they, they say the wrong thing, I might say, oh, that's actually a really juicy error. You know, that that's an error jugoso, like a juicy error, because if you're saying that error, it means most people are making that error too. And you've brought my attention to it. I need to actually address that. And, and the student feels like they've helped me by sharing a mistake and then we'll talk about it together. So really, that sums up my approach is that, yes, almost all the time and in particular from me. So if the students are talking to each other in Portuguese or in Polish or in English, depending on what the task may be, if they're translating and they're establishing meaning or they're talking about connections to their own culture for 30 seconds in English to establish those connections, all those things are fine. But me, when it comes from me, it is pretty much almost always in understandable Spanish. Now, that's the important part. It is must be comprehensible. And I have to make sure I'm speaking slowly and clearly and repeating with loads of questions. And even though that might take me longer to get through my content, inadverted commas, whatever that means, the whole point is I'm helping them to understand and I'll break things down and I'll put translations and use images and I use loads of gestures in my class that helps them to understand what's going along in what's happening in the class. They could follow along with it. And so when I say things like, you know, I que escuchar and then like they all kind of put their ear, hand to their ear like we have to listen or little things like, you know, listos, are you ready? And they say, si, sí, listos, those choral responses really help the students to get back into the listening mode. And, and you know, maybe to someone who comes to observe, they might think it, it looks quite military. And that is certainly not the case because I'm smiling all the time. They're smiling with me. The whole point is to get them back into intent listening because that's how we inquire languages. So if they're drifting away and I use that very simple two claps, they put their hand up or um, class A and they say, see, si. little things like that bring them together. And it's, it's them wrapping the words around things in Spanish and getting more comfortable with the target language usage. Now, one of the areas that I often question and I just wonder about is when I see resources shared by many teachers, which is fantastic, by the way, some amazing resources. But often the instructions are really long and they're in English. So they're quite confusing constructions, like a big paragraph of instructions in English, or even it's just a few lines, but it's in English. And for me personally, I use I really view that as an opportunity lost. There's an opportunity there for you to provide more comprehensible inputs to the student through reading, remembering that we acquire by listening and reading. So I always have my instructions in Spanish 
And that is just so they can have more inputs. Now, of course, what does that mean? I have to write my instructions in a very, very clear, simple and concise way, thinking about words they'll know and they'll understand. So instead of writing a paragraph, I might write things in bullet points. So, you know, I might say something like, you are going to do dot dot and then there'll be five things down there that show them what to write this, do this, say this, as opposed to what I'd like you to do now is pick out three words and then write two of them on the board and put two over here. That's a long paragraph and that can become overwhelming for their cognitive load. So just make it a short snappy sentence. Right now, for five minutes, you will write dot dot and then you show the things that are there. And maybe they've not done the future tense of write, you know, in, in Spanish, uh, tú escribirás. They might not have done that, but they'll see escribe and they'll know it's something to do with writing and then dot dot and it'll show them what they've got to do. And I might, you know, pick out one word to translate or two if I think it's going to be new for them. But by me doing it that way, what it is doing for me is it is providing inputs to them using imperative language, which we see and hear all the time everywhere. So on signs, on posters, instructions, they're everywhere. The imperative mood or tense is so important. Knowing what it looks like when it says do this, don't do that, read, pick this up, go here, sign up, ring, call this number, that's everywhere. And they're getting used to that and seeing it all the time. So the one I would think about very commonly in Spanish is Hath, H-A-Z, which means do this thing in the U form. Now, of course, it depends on your culture. You may not use that form. You may use Aga, which is the usted form. But whichever one you're using, you're helping the students become more familiar with seeing that. And so then when they see the instructions and exams and different things and in life, they'll understand that that's what it's come from. So that's something I really do think is worthwhile is making sure your instructions are in the target language. Now, there's a little asterisk there it, for cover lessons. I have my instructions in Spanish on Google Classroom in really simple Spanish, particularly for the beginners. Of course, it can become more complex and more natural as the students are getting older and more proficient. But for the beginners, it's in Spanish in very simple Spanish. But of course, I know that the cover teacher probably won't speak Spanish, at least in my context here in Switzerland. So the cover teacher's version is in English. And I'll say to them, just like what the way our system is here, you, your cover lesson is on Google Classroom for the students so they can follow what they're doing. And then I simply copy and paste it into Google Translate and then it comes out in English and I'll copy that into the form that I write down for my cover and that's sent to the cover teacher. And I will say instructions are also in Google Classroom. So the students have it in Spanish and the cover teacher has it in English and then they can compare and make sure that they understand both of them. So I think that's a nice little tip because the poor cover teacher, if it's us all in Spanish, they might not know what the instructions are. Now on that, I do think it's really important to use bullet points, particularly with your beginners, as I said before. So rather than long winded paragraphs or if you have an activity like it's, you know, I want you to move these photos into the appropriate box and then link the appropriate box to the arrow and the arrow should link towards the color, which is in reference to the story. Like that's some really complex, difficult instructions. And I, you do see instructions like that on worksheets and different things. Break it down step by step. So number one, move the arrows. That's all it says. And you'll have a picture of the arrows and then it might, you might have to translate the word move. And then you'll show them or maybe there's an example. And then number two, you know, combine the picture with the arrow. And again, you try and break it into simple, very simple Spanish and maybe you show an example. 
might take a little bit longer at first, but once you've got these things created, you have them then and you're learning how to communicate in a very comprehensible way. And you can ask students for feedback. You know, you can ask them in a feedback form, just what are the instructions like in class? What are the instructions like on your tests or what are the instructions like on your worksheets? Are they, do you understand them? And I think that that's really important. So whenever I write my my homework tasks or as I like to call it, home learning or contact with the language, I much prefer. So I use my students all the time. So when I'm giving their contact with the language instructions on Google Classroom, it's always done in Spanish because I also know if they're really struggling and it's on the computer, they can just copy and paste that into Google Translate if they're really struggling. But at least they're reading and seeing the words first in Spanish and becoming familiar with the spelling, what it looks like, what it means. Again, really important is comprehension. It has to be fully understandable. That's a really, really important point. Now, I want to kind of circle back, as they say, to the translanguaging idea. You'll know that I am a really strong and firm believer in our language classes as a vehicle for social justice, equity, inclusion. I really, really believe that the more people have language classes or the longer they sit in a language class, in most of them, if we're trying our best, the longer and the better chance we have of opening that student's arms and minds to other people. People who look different, who sound different, who are different to them. And therefore, we are reducing discrimination and bias and they're learning about the world. And this helps everybody. So I really think it's important. Now, a way to tap into those social justice things is to make sure that all languages are given equal standing in your classroom environment. So yes, I can say we only get two 45 minute periods of Spanish. So I really want you to try your best to speak as much Spanish as you can in the room. And I will mainly speak only Spanish for that reason. So you're hearing it for those 45 minutes. But there will be a couple of moments in each class where a little bit of translanguaging happens, whether that is writing things down in their own native tongue, like they're writing down the meanings in Mandarin or in Dutch, uh, whether it's speaking to someone else who speaks Dutch in the class. Those little moments, the first few times you do them, they may feel awkward to the student and be like, I don't know what the word for this is in Mandarin. That's okay. That's no problem. If you want to write it in English, if that comes to you easier, that's fine. But if you can think of it in Mandarin, it's really good because if you can make those links to your home language, your native language, you will actually make links quicker to Spanish. And we see this in the research. So not only is it helping them cognitively, not only is it helping them linguistically, but you are essentially raising the equity in your class. You are raising the status of Polish, of Ukrainian. You are asking them to write things down in Polish and Ukrainian shows that you care about that language. You're not forcing them to leave their culture and their language at the door. You're sharing it. You're being compassionate. And if we have an understanding in that, and if that student then they've spoken with another colleague in my class four times in Polish, they may speak in Polish with them at lunchtime. And the others in their class are now no longer afraid or they're not going to snigger or make jokes when they hear Polish being spoken. It's just, oh, that's another language they speak. And that's really cool. It's amazing they can do that. So saying those things, really leveraging it, but try not to put the student on the spot. So you don't want to kind of go, John, how do you say that in Polish? Because all of a sudden, if he can't think of it, he's going to feel really embarrassed and he may not be able to in that moment. 
But if you ask them to write it down or speak to each other and then you come around and you say, OK, could you give me any Polish word that you would use that, that for, for these feelings? And between them, maybe they've come up with one and they'll say it to you. And then you say, oh, that sounds so cool. Would you mind writing it on the board? And then we'll look at the letters. Of course, I'm saying this in Spanish. Could you write it on the board? And they are. And then I'll say, wow, that, and so that's a Polish word. And that means nice. Oh, I love that. Really nice. And I'll try and pronounce it and then we'll get the class to pronounce it. These little moments of bringing other languages into the class. Yes, you may be listening going, oh, but that's five minutes I've lost when they could be giving inputs in Spanish. They're still getting your inputs in the target language, but you are leveraging and making it more equal of their languages. That translanguaging piece is such a really vital and easy tool to bring more inclusion and diversity into your class. And you are raising the fact, you're raising their identity. You're showing your identity matters in here. You don't need to leave it at the door. You don't need to just speak English. You can speak Polish. You can speak Mandarin. You can speak Ukrainian. Whatever it is, you know, we'll try and leverage that. So that's a hugely important part of the target language use part in your classroom. You, as a teacher, can use your your target language skills to talk about what they're saying in their own language and just little moments, not the whole class, but little moments. And the more you do it, the more comfortable they'll get with it. And the final thing I want to say about the use of target language in the class from my perspective is it is really important to work in breaks. Now, I don't mean breaks from the target language. I mean cognitive breaks where you as the teacher know you're not talking anymore. So, yes, we have to provide them with lots of inputs, but you need a timer in your class or Mr. and Mrs. Clock or, you know, you know, Senora Ora, as somebody pointed out to me, that sounds so much better than Senora Tiempo. So thank you for saying that to me. Senora Ora or Senor Ora, the person who is following the time and they'll say five minutes, they stand up and so they've been listening to me, whatever, do a picture talk or we're building a narrative around something or maybe it's a, a text we're reading. Now they'll do something with it. And maybe it's a bit of translanguaging, writing some things down, connections to your own culture, or maybe it's speaking to the person beside you with some scaffolds in the target language, or maybe it's writing some things or drawing. But there's a break there for you and a break there for them cognitively. It is very cognitively demanding to listen to something in the target language with intent to learn for a whole 45, 50 minutes. So those little breaks of silence and processing time are absolutely key. So there you go. There's just a few of my takes on the use of target language in the classroom. Now, of course, remember, it is the motivated classroom. So that Irish word for today was changa, meaning tongue or meaning language. And our great phrase was tír gan changa, tír gan anam. A country without a language is a country without a soul. Just love that Irish expression. Now, I just want to finish by saying an enormous Gurumil Mahagav to all of you. Now, I know I say thank you in most episodes, but I'm not sure you really mean or understand how much it means to me that all of you download this. The fact that there's thousands of you downloading this every week just kind of blows my mind. So thank you so much for all the kind words, for the kind emails, for those of you who've been on my Buy Me A Coffee site and you, you get me a once-off coffee. Thank you so much. And also those who are patrons, genuinely, there's, I think, 54 of you now. That is incredible. Thank you so much. And really, you are helping my coffee and crisp addiction that I think I'm going to need even more soon enough when I become a dad quite soon. So I just wanted to say a huge thank you. If you would like to become a patron, that would be fantastic. Go to patreon.com, look for The Motivated Classroom. And if not, no problem at all. Just keep listening for free. Keep telling your friends, keep sharing it. Follow it on social media. That's all I'm asking from you. So again, a huge Guramila Mahakov. I guess Slonawalia. The Motivated Classroom Podcast is an original production by Liam Printer. I'm at Liam Printer on Twitter and my YouTube channel is Liam Printer The Motivated Classroom. 
Full podcast notes with links to resources are available on my website, liamprinter.com. For more, find and follow the Motivated Classroom podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Graphics and music are provided by Paul Mahan. Intro clips are thanks to the wonderful multilingual staff at the International School of Lausanne.